What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. So, before Ruth made her decision to be faithful to Naomi, and to God, she had done what the Lord Jesus Christ said to do in Luke 14, 25 to 33, when he said, when, first of all, the setting is very interesting. It says, there went great multitudes with him, with the Lord Jesus Christ, and he turned and said unto them, if any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, his own life also, he can't be my disciple. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me, cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, sitteth not down first and counteth the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it? Less happily, after he hath laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all that behold it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king? What king going to make war against another king sitteth not down first? and consulteth whether he be able with 10,000 to meet him that cometh against him with 20,000. Or else, while the other is yet a great way off, he sendeth an embassage and, and desireth conditions of peace. So likewise, whosoever he be of you, that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. See the setting? The setting here? Great multitudes were there. So he looks, he sees the great multitudes following him, but more importantly as only he can, he sees the hearts of each one in those great multitudes. Like it says in Jeremiah 17.10, I, the Lord, search the heart. And so the Lord Jesus Christ is looking at all these hearts, he's looking at all these individuals, and he searches their hearts, and he sees them, and he says, I see a great need. I see a great need. They really have not considered the cost of faithfulness. They haven't considered it. And so he turns to them, and he says to the multitude, now, He's talking to Jewish people. So you Jewish people, some of you, the cost of faithfulness to follow me will mean you can just say goodbye now to your father and your mother and your wife and your children and your brothers and your sisters because they're going to hate you and you're going to have to even deny yourself. You ready to pay that cost of faithfulness? 
Really? Have you thought about it? For some of you, the cost of faithfulness is going to be so great that when they hate you for following me and, and your own body is crying out for pleasures that I don't allow, you'll have to hate your father and your mother and your wife and your children, your brothers and sisters and your own life in order to pay the cost of faithfulness. Are you ready to pay that? Have you really thought about that? Are you ready to pay it? And then to make sure that each individual is ready to pay the cost of faithfulness, cost of faithfulness. He uses two examples of the builder wanting to build a tower and the king wanting to make war. And in both examples, he uses the same phrase, which is, sitteth not down first. Sitteth not down first and counts the cost. Sitteth not down first and consulteth whether he be able. So as the Lord Jesus Christ looks over the hearts of the individuals, he saw that each one needed to sit down first, count the cost, and decide if they're prepared. Pay the cost of faithfulness. You know, this reminds me of two Jewish men today, both living in New York City within 15 miles of each other. One's a rabbi, very religious. The other's a typical secular Jewish man. And both of them watched my testimony DVD, and both of them received the Lord Jesus Christ. When the rabbi told his wife that he believed that the Lord Jesus Christ was the Messiah, she gave him one chance to recant and renounce Jesus. Otherwise, he would not be allowed back home that night to their really nice house that her father bought for them. <laughs> and he could no longer see his children. And he could no longer have his job working for her father. And immediately, he called to tell me that he had renounced Jesus. And he was returning to traditional Judaism without Jesus. Now that's him. Now on the other hand, there's another person, a secular Jewish man who was under a lot of pressure at work. And this pressure was so great that it forced him to get on his hands and knees and to cry out to God for help. And he found the testimony DVD that he had received eight months ago in January. And he stuffed it into a drawer and he watched it, and he prayed the sinner's prayer at the end of the DVD. And he had married his high school Jewish sweetheart, and he'd been married to her for decades. And he was not expecting the reaction he did when he told his wife, and she, she, because she told him, if he followed Jesus, that she could no longer live with him. And when he told her, and when he, and when he told me that, I held my breath as I waited for his response, which was, there's no way I'm going to turn back from Jesus. I'm staying with Jesus. Two Jewish men, both married to Jewish women, both living in New York City within a short drive of each other, both watched the same DVD, both received the Lord Jesus Christ as their God and Savior, both had a similar response from their Jewish wives. One said, I turn back and choose my wife, my children, my job, my house over Jesus. And the other said, there is nothing going to make me turn back from Jesus. What's the difference? What's the difference between these two men, these two Jewish men? What's the difference? One sat down and counted the cost of faithfulness and decided to pay the cost of faithfulness to the Lord Jesus Christ. Cost what it will. And the other he didn't really sit down and count the cost. And when he saw that the cost of faithfulness to the Lord Jesus Christ 
was too great a price, he said, I turn back. Two Moabite women, one named Orpah, one named Ruth, both married to Jewish women, both living with each other, both widowed, both faced with the same decision to be faithful to Naomi and to God. Follow Naomi back to Bethlehem to be with the people of God. Orpah, she decides to not be faithful to Naomi and God. She turns back to her people, to her gods, to the prospect of getting married again. Ruth, she decides to be faithful to Naomi and to God, and she forsakes her people and the Moabite God. She gives up the prospect of getting married again. What's the difference? What's the difference between Orpah and Ruth? They both saw the cost of faithfulness and to Naomi and to, to, and to God, and Orpah said, too much. Too much to pay, too great a cost. Ruth said, not too much, worth it. I'll pay the cost of faithfulness. So chapter one is all about the cost of faithfulness. It's not easy. It's not an easy cost of faithfulness for Ruth to pay. It's not an easy cost of faithfulness to come to the Lord Jesus Christ, especially for Jewish people. But the Lord Jesus Christ knows how great the cost of faithfulness is, and he says, it's worth it. It's worth it. As hard as it is, coming to the Lord Jesus Christ is worth it. It's worth it to pay the cost of faithfulness to the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus, he sees the cost of faithfulness, and he says, to choose pleasing yourself over the cost of faithfulness is a disaster. When he said in John 12, 25, he that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. When Paul was faced with the prospect of losing his life as the cost of faithfulness to the Lord Jesus Christ, he said in Acts 20, verse 4, but none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. See, when Paul said that the prospect of him dying as a cost of faithfulness to the Lord Jesus Christ, Paul said, didn't move him. Didn't move him. Because he wanted to be faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul said, compared to being faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ, I don't count my life dear to myself. Because he saw a course. Paul saw a course. And he saw this course. And that course was preaching the gospel, bringing the gospel, the gospel of the grace of God. And even if the cost of the faithfulness to finish this course cost him his life, Paul says, I don't care. I don't count my life dear to myself compared to the dearness of being faithful to my calling to finish the course with joy I've received of the Lord Jesus Christ to testify the gospel of the grace of God. So seeing the cost of faithfulness to him, the Lord Jesus Christ gave his advice when he said in Luke 13, 24, strive, strive to enter in at the straight gate. For many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in and shall not be able Two different words, strive and seek. And when he used the word strive, he used one of the strongest words in the Greek language, which is the word agonizomai, from which we obviously get our word agonize, which means to struggle to the point of agony. In other words, fight to enter in at the straight or narrow gate. Straight or narrow gate. It's not, it's not the Baptist church that's the most narrow. It's not the Presbyterian church that's the most narrow. The most narrow is the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And Paul spoke of how narrow it is for a believer when he said in 1 Corinthians 9, 25 to 27, every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly so fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and I bring it into subjection, lest it by any means, when I preach to others, I myself should be a castaway. He says, I keep under my body. I keep my body under it, and I fight it to keep it in obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. And Ruth saw the cost of faithfulness, and she's prepared to strive to the point of agony to pay the price, pay the cost of faithfulness to Naomi and God. So as we pass through chapter 1 and into chapter 2, we've seen the cost of faithfulness to Ruth. And now Ruth has decided to pay the cost of faithfulness, and the tide is beginning to turn. Because the Bible doesn't only talk about the cost of faithfulness. The Bible talks about the reward of faithfulness. And now we're starting to see this emerge. But there's not a reward of faithfulness unless there is the cost of faithfulness. One comes before the other. And God has promised that for anyone who pays the cost of faithfulness to God, that he will make sure, God is no man's debtor, he will make sure that that person receives the reward of faithfulness because he said in Mark 10, 28-30, Peter began to say unto him, Lo, we've left all and have followed thee. In other words, what are we going to get? And Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you, there's no man that has left house or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife, or children, or lands, quite a list, or job, or a beautiful house your father-in-law bought. He didn't say that, but anyway, he included. For my sake in the Gospels, but he shall receive a hundredfold. Now in this time, houses and brethren and sisters and mothers and children and lands and persecutions, and in the world to come, eternal life. And the great example of this is seen in the life of Abraham. Because Abraham, in Genesis 12, we see him there, he starts out, he says, the Lord said unto Abraham, Abraham, get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I'll show thee, and I'll make thee a great nation, I'll bless thee, make thy name great, thou shalt be a blessing, I'll bless them that curse, bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. When Jacob was called to go to Egypt, Joseph gave his father a very interesting instruction. He said in Genesis 45, 20, when he was saying, come on, he said, he said to him, also regard not your stuff. Don't care about your stuff. He says, regard not your stuff, for the good of all the land of Egypt is yours. Don't bother about what you're going to leave behind and lose. And the great decision about Moses that made Moses Moses was in Hebrews 11, 24 to 25, when it says, by faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Don't you call me that. Don't you call me the son of Pharaoh's daughter, he would say. Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. No, call me the son of Jacobin. He called me a Jew. Don't you call me an Egyptian. Call me a Jew. Why? Because verse 26 of Hebrews 11 says, esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. And there is a reward of faithfulness. And Ruth paid the cost of faithfulness, and God made sure that Ruth received the reward 
of faithfulness. So now we see in chapter 2, verse 2, that Ruth had asked Naomi for permission to go and glean ears of corn. Literally, she was asking Naomi if she could go among the ears of corn. The reapers, the way it worked, they would cut down the corn, bind them into bundles, and there was some corn that just fell on the ground, and the reapers had to just keep on moving. There's just no time to stop and pick up what fell. And, and, and besides, God told them, don't stop when that happens. Don't pick up what fell. In fact, even makes a little bit fall here and there. Because you're supposed to leave it for the poor and let them glean, let them pick it up. This is what he said in Leviticus 19, 9 through 10. When you reap in the harvest of your land, thou shalt not wholly reap the corners of thy field, neither shalt thou gather the gleanings, what falls to the ground, of thy harvest. Thou shalt not glean thy vineyard, neither shalt thou gather every grape of thy vineyard, should leave them for the poor and the stranger. I'm the Lord your God. You know, he was saying, remember me. And then Deuteronomy 24, he said, when thou cuttest down thine harvest in the field, in thy field, and hast forgot a sheaf, oh, look at that, I forgot that sheaf in the field. Look at that, there's still some good corn on that sheaf. I gotta go back and get that. He said, don't do it. He said, thou shalt not go again to fetch it. It shall be for the stranger, for the fatherless, for the widow, for the Lord thy God may bless thee in all the work of thine hands. And when thou beatest thine olive tree, thou shalt not go over the boughs again. In other words, we'll take one pass through this tree, we'll get olives we can. Look, there's still some more olives on that tree. What do we do? God says, don't you dare go back. Don't you dare go back. He says, thou shalt not go over those boughs again. It shall be for the, father, for the stranger, for the fatherless, and for the widow. When thou gatherest thy grapes of, the, of thy vineyard, and you missed a few. They were under those leaves over there. Well, go back. No, God says, when thou gatherest the grapes of thy vineyard, thou shalt not glean it afterward. It shall be for the stranger, for the fatherless, and the widow. And then he said, why? Thou shalt remember that thou wast a bondman in the land of Egypt. Therefore, I command thee to do this thing. In other words, God said, I fed you in Egypt. Now you feed. It's your turn. But not every landowner completely agreed with God on this matter. Some hard-hearted landowners, they, they wanted to have the greatest harvest. After all, it's money, it's profit. And so they looked at what was left behind as lost. I lost it. And those hard-hearted landowners didn't see as what was left as really supposed to be for the poor and the stranger as a loan to God that he was going to pay back. They didn't quite see it that way. And so those hard-hearted landowners, they put obstacles in the way of the poor and the strangers to keep them from gleaning. From after the reapers. I mean, some of those hard-hearted landowners, they didn't allow the poor and the strangers to come in their ground there. And what they did is they planted prickly pear barriers around their fields, made it a little tough for them, around their properties to discourage the poor and the strangers from coming. So Ruth knew about those hard-hearted landowners, and so she told Naomi in verse 2 that she was going to go look for the landowner in whose sight I shall find grace. So she knew that, that the right for the poor and the strangers, of which she, she was both, she was a poor and a Moabite stranger, was a gift of grace. She knew that. And she knew that she depended on the grace of the landowner. So just as Ruth knew that she was dependent on the grace of the landowner, we know that we depend on the grace of God and on his kindness, who means it for good. In Romans 5.17, For if by one man's offense death reigned by sin, by one, much more, they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life 
by one Jesus Christ. See, we have eternal life because of the abundance of the grace of God. And Romans 5.21 said that as sin is reign unto death, even so my grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. So just as we once lived under the reign, the domination, the control of sin in our lives, we're now following the Lord Jesus Christ. We live under a different reign, which is the reign of grace. And we have the righteousness of God under that reign in eternal life. Titus 3.7 says that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the great hope of eternal life. The grace of God results in our justification. The same justification that's spoken of in Isaiah 53.11 when it says, So, by his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. It's that justification at the cross where he bore our iniquities that gives us the hope of eternal life. It's that justification at the cross where he bore our iniquities that enables us to look at the grave and death of a loved one, our own grave and death, and say, tauntingly, oh death, bring it on. Where's thy sting? Oh grave, is this the best he got? Where's your victory? And now in verse 3, a very important statement is made. The three words, and she went, starts off, and she went. That means she actually left. <laughs> that means she went. And, so, and she actually left Naomi. She went alone. Now, how was she able to do that? How was a single woman, a foreigner, an outcast, a black man in Selma, Alabama, black woman, Selma, Alabama in 1950s, despised foreigner, how is she able to do that? She's only been in Israel with her mother-in-law, but here we read that she's left Naomi and she ventures out alone, and it's not just for sightseeing, but she's going out to beg to be able to pick up food that the reapers have dropped. How was Ruth able to do that? How was she able to have this brave enough to go out alone? Um, how do we, what do we do when we're afraid? When we, what do we do? We feel like, I don't feel brave. I feel like I'm alone. What do we do when we feel like David? When he said in, in Psalm 55, 6, my heart is sore pained within me. The terrors of death are fallen upon me. Fearfulness and trembling are come upon me, and horror has just overwhelmed me. I said, oh, that I had wings like a dove, for then I'd fly away, be at rest. You know, what do we do when we're alone and, and we feel so, our hearts hurting inside of us? We're so fearful. And we say with David, it'd just be a lot easier to die than to go through the torments of the terrors of death that have fallen on me. And what do we do? And David said, fearfulness and trembling have just fallen on me. And horror is like a, horror is like a great wave. It's just overwhelmed me. And, we, and when we say like, like David, boy, I wish I had wings like a dove. I want to get out of here, fly away from all these troubles. And what did do, Ruth do? And what did Ruth do when she needed to be brave and she needed to not be afraid and she needed to go out alone and get food for her and Naomi? She did what we need to do. She trusted God. She trusted God. That's what David said in Psalm 56.3. What time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. In Psalm 34.4, I sought the Lord, and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. See, Ruth did what David did when he was greatly distressed because his wives were taken away from him. It's bad enough to have one wife, but he had two or several. And the wives of his men were taken captive, and his own men were planning, and he could hear their plans. Well, let's kill David. <laughs> he, he, he's, he's the problem. Let's kill him. How does he recover? In 1 Samuel 30, verse 6, David was greatly distressed, 
For the people spoke, spake of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and his daughters. And D David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. He encouraged himself. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California, Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org, tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org.